Now, if you thought I was going to preach bilingually, you have overestimated uh, my abilities this morning. We are working on these questions, these ask questions, where we asked you to ask people, if you could ask Christians any question, what would you ask? And we got several questions back, and, and this is probably my favorite why do Christians interpret the Bible differently, yet all think that they are right? Why do Christians interpret the Bible differently, yet all think that they are right? Or how, how can you be so sure that you are right? And I, I think that's a valid question, because as people who are not in the church are looking at Christians around the world, they are looking at division, right? As we look around the world in every area, whether it's uh, but political or familial or churches, it just seems like there's division everywhere. People are very antagonistic. And so as pe- the world is looking, um, one of the things that I like about this question is that they expect the church to meet a standard that the world doesn't meet. Isn't that interesting? You look around and you go, in what area is there unity? There's very little anywhere where there's unity, but they look at the church and go, how come you guys are divided? Shouldn't you be united? And I think, that's awesome. That that's their expectation of us, is that Christians uh, would be united. And uh, in fact, it's biblical, right? In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Just a little thing like that, right? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's the, the expectation, the desire for the church. Because, and the reason that he's writing this is he says, because it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except for Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but on that I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, it's kind of funny to me that Paul puts that in there about the baptizing people, but it's not the point. The point, the point is that We are all baptized in the name of Christ. That we are all receiving the teachings of Christ. And whether it's Gaius or Cephas or Paul or Apollos or anybody else, and they're bringing the teachings of Christ, those teachings are only acceptable in as far as they are the teachings of Christ. That's why we receive them. And he's telling them, that's why you should receive them is because they came from Jesus. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
because nobody else was baptized for them. Uh, no one else died on their behalf. It was only Jesus. It was only Jesus. And so here's, here's what I wanna, wanna say, that this is a biblical thing that we are called to unity, but the unity is around this. The unity is around Jesus. It's around the gospel. The good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. That, that Jesus, the Son of God, died on your behalf so that you might be saved. That's the good news. And that's where the unity comes from. That's why when we uh, participate in expressing the gospel together around the Lord's table, we are expressing our unity, but our unity is not because we like each other and because we're both friendly and kind, nice people, but because we share in common a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where the unity comes from. So, why am I making such a big deal about this? Because when people are looking at the church, there are in fact people who are saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe in the deity of Jesus. I don't believe in some of those things. But they're claiming to be Christians. And so when the world looks at it, they say, there's division over there. And some of that division is not real. Some of that division is not real. It's apparent. It looks like division, but it's not actually because there are people who self-proclaim to be Christians, but are in fact not. If you push them on this, if you push them on uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that they believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, if you push them on that, they'll go, well, maybe not. Okay. Well, I wish that I could then therefore say, okay, would you stop using the label of Christian then? Because you're making us look bad. But I can't do that. They get to, to say whatever they want. So there's an appearance of, of disunity when in fact there's not disunity as far as you might think. Right? Now, that's the, the, the first thing is that I want to say, I think that, that the problem looks a lot bigger than it actually is. So how, how then, because let's be honest, that's not all that the division, that, that's not where the division ends, right? That's the big, big chunk, but then there are the, the, the smaller fracture, fractures and fractions. Those who claim to be Christians but aren't, but also those that don't really take the Bible like, I'm a Christian, I do believe that Jesus died and rose again for, from the dead, and I do accept that. He is my Lord and Savior. I don't like some of the stuff that Paul says, though. Leviticus is pretty weird. Ecclesiastes is odd. Ezekiel doesn't make any sense to anyone. And so let's just be, be uh, okay with the fact that Jesus lived and he died and rose again and that I'm saved, but we'll just sort of not use the scriptures as authority. 
that was written a long time ago and doesn't necessarily, necessarily apply to me today. This is what people will say. They don't hold the Bible as the authoritative Word of God. Christians, perhaps. But they don't hold the Bible as the authoritative Word of God. And so they don't have a standard for truth outside of themselves. They themselves become the truth, right? And they say, this is what I think. I can remember being in uh, Sunday school classes before and talking with people. And, and uh, one of the, the other guys in the, the class said, I just don't think God is that way. And I said, well, this verse says that he is, and that verse says that he is. And he goes, yeah, but I just don't think that God is that way. Time out. What are you basing that on? I just don't like it. Hard to argue with that. I just don't like it. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. But you have to accept it. If you believe that that this is the Word of God. You see, I I think that people just think that at some point people wrote down or or a person wrote the Bible. Like J.R.R. Tolkien sat and wrote the Bible or something. And and just wrote it all out and go, oh, this sounds really good and I'll, I'll put this in there. They don't realize that the Bible was written over thousands of years with all of these different people hearing from God and writing it down and seeing the thread, the, the, the history, the unity that extends from the beginning all the way through to the end of the book. It's remarkable. It's remarkably consistent. God's messaging on this is my plan for salvation for my people, what it will look like and how it will be. And then the history of how God interacted with His people as this was taking place. It's, uh, Peter puts it this way. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And he's, he wrote a couple of things um, that we hold to be important. One of which is Second Peter uh, 1.16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, look, we didn't make this stuff up. We, and we didn't just hear all of these uh, clever myths and, and pass them on to you. We were eyewitnesses. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. When, when we wrote down about the miracles that Jesus did, it wasn't stories that we heard, it was things that we witnessed. When we wrote down about our confusion and how we didn't understand what was going on, and our fear and our amazement, it's because we were there and having those emotions. 
We wrote this stuff so that you would know who He is. And when we were up on the mountain and the voice came from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We were on that mountain and we listened. And in fact, even more importantly than our eyewitness accounts of all the things that we heard from Jesus, the all of the prophets which spoke before. All of the Old Testament Scriptures on which this is based, you have those, which is even more sure. What a great foundation to go to that as your authority. So if we want to have unity first, we have to accept that our unity comes from our salvation in Jesus. And second, that the teachings of that come through the authority of the Bible. That's our authority. And so we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to say, what does it say? And I am going to base what I think on what the Bible says, rather than uh, what I think based on how I feel. And explain what the Bible says based on what I want it to say. Right? We ought to be able to go to the Scriptures, each of us looking at them together, and wrestle through what does this mean. Now I've heard people go, well, what it means to me is... No, no. Not what it means to, not, not flip the Bible open, point to a verse, read that verse out of context and say, what is God trying to say to me today? What does this mean to me? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is as you're reading the scriptures in their context, understanding that real people wrote these scriptures to real people, we can understand them, right? They wrote them in a way to be understood by the people that they were writing to. The Holy Spirit helped them to write it in a clear way to the people that they were writing to so that the people who received it would understand. And we now have that same Holy Spirit in us who helps us to understand as we read it. So that we can read the Scriptures together and we can go, oh, here's what it says. Oh, this is what that means. This is the point that Paul was, was trying to communicate when he was writing to uh, the church at Corinth. This is what he was saying, and this is what he meant. This is what he was doing there. Oh, I see that. And somebody else can come alongside us and go, yes, I see that same thing. Do you know what's wonderful to me? We, we're a multi-site church, and so uh, every Thursday, Pastor Scott and I, or whoever the preaching pastors are that week, get together and we talk about the sermon. We each do our studying from Monday through up to Thursday. Thursday afternoons, we sit down together and we say, here's what I've got. Here's what this passage looks like it's communicating to me and what I'm planning to say. This is my main point and here are my subpoints. Do you know how often we both sit down in that meeting and say, here's my main point and here are my subpoints and they're almost identical? It's ridiculous. And you go, wow, that must be the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is. And it can happen for you too. Because if you're studying that passage and you came and you sat down in that meeting, we would expect you to have pretty much the same thing too. 
And every time anybody reads the Bible and studies what's it say, what these verses are saying in their context, we expect that for the most part, they're going to have pretty much the same thing. In fact, when I sit down and I go, this is what I get, and he gives me this weird look, I get nervous. Because it means one of us is wrong. And so we're going to wrestle it out. And say, what, what does it say? How do we know that's what it says? What are the words that are used? Oh, I see where I got tripped up. Yep, I think you're right. And we'll wrestle it through. And we can come to an understanding. Or if we have a disagreement about something, at least we can see where each other are coming from. We can each see where, where you understand it from this side and I understand it from that side. And that could be, a, be right or I could be right um, It's pretty close, not exactly the same. That's usually how that goes. But we're going to the Scriptures and we're basing what we believe on the Scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, it says uh, that they were teaching, Paul and Silas were teaching. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The Greeks, the Jews, the men, the women, they heard the message, they studied the scriptures and went, Oh, that is what it says. I've been reading that wrong this whole time. It's amazing to me the consistency of the messaging of the Bible so that we can be in unity as long as we all are holding the same authority. Right? So there's an appearance of disunity, but that appearance of disunity comes from those who say that they're Christians are not actually Christians, or those who um, say that they're Christians and don't believe in the authority of the Bible, and so they're just making up their own Christianity, their own version of Christianity. And so there's this appearance of division. And then we get into the actual distinctions, right? Because let's be honest, not every single time with every single person do you read the Bible and you talk about it together and you go, yep, we exactly believe the same thing about that. There are times when we read the scriptures and you think this is saying one thing and I think something different and we can see where each other are coming from, but we don't agree on it. What do you do about that? I want to give you a context, a framework that was very helpful for me as I was going through seminary. They were, they said, here's a grid for you. We're going to call it the levels of certainty grid. Are you ready for the levels of certainty grid? Okay. Somebody said no. That's all right. You get it anyway. Here are the here are the four levels of certainty: things I will die over, things I will divide over, things I will debate about, and things I will discuss. Very helpful to have this grid. There are some things that I will die for. These are essential truths. Jesus is both God and man. I will die over that. Jesus is the Savior. The only way to heaven. The only one who reconciles us with God. I will die for that. 
There is only one God, triune in His essence, three persons, one God. I will die over that. There are probably a couple of other things that I would die for. But when we get down to it, this is the stuff that makes us a Christian. These are the things that I will die for. Because this is so certain that as I'm looking at the Scriptures, that we cannot deny these things without becoming non-Christians. I will die over them. Those are essential doctrines. Second, uh, these are things that we, we divide over. That is, they're not essential doctrines. We both agree, based on our understanding of the Scriptures, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. We agree on that. The essential doctrines, you believe in Jesus, that He died and rose again from the dead so that you are saved. I believe the same thing. We're both Christians. Okay, good. That's a starting point. But then we get into some other things that are important doctrines. They're not to die for. right? We're talking about things like uh, modes of baptism, how you're baptized, what does that look like, or uh, church leadership structures. So, some of those kinds of things that these are really important things that we can't really work together in the same church if we differ on these. I understand how you came to that conclusion. I think that you're wrong because this is how I read those same scriptures. And so we look at it and go, yeah, we can't function in the same church because your view of what the church leadership structure should look like is different than mine. And so when we try to structure the church, we can't have two different structures of leadership in the church. So we're going to have to divide over that. I'm going to love those Christian brothers and sisters. I'm going to... um, encourage them. I'm going to acknowledge that they are part of the body of Christ, that in Christ we are one. I would share communion with them. But we we have to divide because the practice of the way that we do church is different. That's the divide over. Then there's the debate about. I'm going to debate about these things. These are, are things that are a little less less sure. We can be in the same church. We can function together. We just disagree. We, we disagree on the timeline of creation. We disagree on the timeline of the end times. We disagree about... Um, what else? I don't know. So, some other things that, that, that... They're relatively important things, but we can disagree about those things, right? We can, we can uh, debate about them. We can argue about them, grumble about them when they come up at life group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class. We can grumble about them and and really get into it, but we know deep down that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We love one another. This isn't going to affect the way that we do church together. We're just going to argue about that point. I've done that with some of you. We've argued about end times. We preached through the book of Revelation and there was some grumbling. There was a bit of debating. It was healthy, it was fun, it was good. But ultimately, that's not going to divide us. That's going to be in-house stuff that we talk about here. We don't want that ever to, to show out there. right? We don't want people going, how come you're so divided over this? Over end times stuff. No, that's, a, that's an in-house thing. We'll debate it. And then there's the discuss things. These are, are things that... Uh, We're just going to talk about it. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? That's an interesting discussion. 
What was the thorn in Paul's side? What does all of the different symbolism mean in the book of Ezekiel? Those are good things to discuss. We might come to slightly different conclusions and that's fine. We're going to be friends. We're not even going to get hot under the collar because it's not even that big of a debate. We're just going to discuss it. But the reason that I give you those is because it shows first that there are important things that there should be division about. Right? There are things that we have to say, no, I will die for this. It is that important. Or we have to divide. You, you, you want to practice in a different way than I do, and, and we just, we can't work together on this, even though we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But then there's other things that we just debate about or discuss sometimes. And that's going to happen when there's truth. Right? If we believed that there was no such thing as truth, then we wouldn't have any divisions. But if we say, no, there is, there is one God and He has communicated to us through His Word, and that Word is authoritative, then there's going to be divisions sometimes. I just hope that it's only in the right places. That that division is, is only in the right place. And the way that we're going to do that is if we're really humble. Really gentle. Really gracious. I think one of the, the worst testimonies of the church is when somebody thinks that they are right and they're arrogant about it. I can't believe you'd think that. What school did you go to? Man, you must be so dumb if you believe that. When, when, we, when we become proud or arrogant about our beliefs, that it is not from God. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have firm convictions about what you believe. I think that you should decide. You should, you should read, you should study, you should know the Scriptures, you should know what you believe about the essential doctrines, about the divide for doctrines, about the debate about the doctrines, even about the discussing doctrines. I think you should be convinced in your own mind, this is how I see it right now. Willing to be shown through Scripture that you might be wrong about this, holding it loosely, but also convinced this is how it is. But then not being arrogant. See, there are some people that they don't want to cling tight. They, they don't want to wrestle through it and believe because they're afraid that if I come down on this one way or another, then it's going to cause division. Or then I'm going to become arrogant. Don't, don't worry about that, please. Study and know what you believe. Being wishy-washy so that you don't have division, that's not a good way to go. Well, I just don't know what I believe, so I'm not divided with anybody. Know what you believe. Know what you believe, but be gracious and humble about it. So that when you're interacting with somebody else, you're not trying to blow them up. But you're trying to encourage them. Walk alongside them. Support them as you can. Correct as you need to. Always going back to Scripture. Wrestling through Scripture together. There's a lot of safety in that. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Paul, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You can't be of the same mind and the same judgment unless you're talking about it, working it out. I find this in marriage all the time, that, that uh, Teresa and I, we're united on the stuff that we've talked about and wrestled through. We, you don't accidentally end up on the same page. It just, it just doesn't happen. You don't parent in the same way on accident. You don't go on the same vacations together on accident. You don't decide what recharges you both together on accident. You have to talk about that stuff. Sometimes you have to wrestle it out and debate about it. Hopefully you don't have to die over it. But you can debate about it and you can discuss it. So that you can figure it out and so that you can be of one mind and one judgment. The same thing is true in the church. We we have to, to work it out. That's how we're going to come to the point where there are no divisions among you. Because he says it's been reported that among Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. That one would say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Going back to the gospel over and over again. So that we can humbly bear with one another and encourage one another and support one another and and just love on each other in truth. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore... A prisoner, of the, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one. There is one. And so if there is one God, and that one God sent His one Son, and His one Son provides the one way to God, then those who are looking at us from outside are right in saying, why then would there be any division among you? Be of the same mind. Wrestle through it, using the the Scriptures, the Word of God as the authority, and then relate to one another. Listen to this. In verse 2 of Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Isn't that fantastic? I would love for the reputation of the church to be this. 
Who are the Christians? They're the ones that are united. Who are the Christians? They're the ones that relate to one another with all humility and gentleness. Graciously bearing with one another. So if you get to ask this question, how come you all say that you're Christians and you believe the Bible but you're divided? You can say. Well, there are many who say that they're Christians but they don't believe the Bible. And so we're divided about that. But otherwise, you're right, we should be united with humility and gentleness as we engage all the other things that the Bible has to say. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be humble, that you would help us to be uh, gentle and gracious with one another. I pray that as these questions arise, that we would be humble and gracious and gentle with those outside the church as well those who do not proclaim the, the name of Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus but don't accept the Scriptures, Father, I pray that you would help us to be uh, gentle with them. But Father, may we never back down from that which is true. May we, may we hold with assurance that your word to us has been handed down from eyewitnesses and made more sure by the prophetic writings that we might know and believe that you are God and that we might be united one with each other. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.